Welcome to Women Who Start Up Radio, a show about adventurous, innovative female entrepreneurs. Hey, this is Lizelle Van Vieren, founder of Women Who Start Up. I'm here with my co-host, Krista Morgan. I'm Krista Morgan, CEO and co-founder of P2B Investor. We're talking to Ashley Colpart, who is an expert at food supply systems. She's launching an awesome food tech startup. The thing that I love about Ashley is that she's a relatively new entrepreneur and yet she has this amazing sense of confidence that just shines through because she's so passionate and she's such an expert. I feel like she has the confidence that I have after four years. It's impressive. It's really fucking impressive. Where's the beer? I know! <laughs> Ashley has a sense of confidence that doesn't usually show itself with really early stage entrepreneurs. The first time I heard her pitch was several months ago she barely had a product stitched together. All right, so my name is Ashley Colpart, and I am the founder and CEO of The Food Corridor. And The Food Corridor is essentially an Airbnb for commercial kitchen space. We connect food business entrepreneurs with the commercial kitchen space that they need to grow and scale their businesses, and at the same time allow institutions that have kitchens with underutilized capacity to monetize their asset when it's not being used. Where the hell does that confidence come from? Ashley is like... I think the perfect person to start a food tech company because her mom made salsa in her basement and sold it to people and her dad was like part of inventing the original microchips or computer chips. I grew up around food my whole life. My mom always did catering events. She started a salsa company when I was a kid. Our eyes used to burn when we came downstairs because she'd be making it in the house and, and you know, you'd have to wear masks and gloves to, to even be in the kitchen during those times. Um, at the same time, I was also born in Silicon Valley and my dad was a software and hardware engineer and he helped design the first computer chips for microprocessors. And so people like to say I was raised on chips and salsa. So Ashley, born in Silicon Valley, then moved to Central Texas where her mom made salsa and then ended up in Boston doing her master's at Tufts uh, and now finds herself in Fort Collins, Colorado of all places, uh, the founder of a food tech company who also on the side is getting her doctorate, which is pretty awesome, as if being a food tech entrepreneur wasn't enough. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I was on very much on acad academia land, you know. I was headed towards a PhD. I, you know, I wanted to teach. I still want to teach. I, I think I teach every day in a, in a different sort of way. But, you know, that that's where I thought I was headed, you know, publications and, you know, teaching in a nutrition department about food systems. And, you know, that that's a great profession, you know, would be, I'd be really happy. But um, I always have a creative entrepreneurial sense. I, I, I'm, I have a ability to see problems in the world that need a solution and be like, somebody should solve that, <laughs> start a company and solve that problem. So I just never thought that I would um, take the plunge. When you start pitching your startup for the very first time, the beauty is in Colorado, we do now have one hell of a pitching circuit opportunity. It's so valuable when you're just getting started to train yourself. Like, and forget, forget value. It's bold <laughs> to not really even have a product and start going out and telling people about all this great stuff you're gonna do. Here's Ashley's pitch. Here she goes. Now you can put me on my spot, or on this spot. 
So we all know that communities are in love with local food. And in response, there's been this huge growth in food entrepreneurships, whether that's chefs or caterers or food trucks or value-added producers. They're just emerging and popping all over cities. And so by law, all of those food entrepreneurs are required to produce food in a licensed commercial kitchen to sell to consumers. Um, and those can cost between fifty dollars and $150,000 to build. Um, so for most food entrepreneurs, that's impossible. It's a it's a limit, um, and so it's it's limiting growth in the in the local food sector. Um, so at the same time, commercial kitchen space is sitting idle between fifty five and ninety percent of the time um, at institutions like schools or food banks, as well as private businesses like bakeries or restaurants that are closed one day a week. And so the food corridor. Uh, connects food entrepreneurs with the commercial kitchen space that they need and empowers local food economies to scale through doing that. The food corridor is making it easier for local food companies to access the commercial kitchen space that they need to, in order to produce food for all of us. And I hear the kitchen story all the time. Like, we all want local food. And there are a ton of regulations about like health and safety, you know, that you need to follow in order to produce food and sell it to people. And actually, it is sort of a shadow industry. I think it's really hard to find that commercial kitchen space and, and food corridor is about democratizing that. It's sexy right now to focus on farmers and people love those stories. It's sexy right now to focus on restaurants and chefs. People love those stories. Farmers are a part of the supply chain, but we're not we're focused on like a step above that. And that's interesting because in the supply chain, everything in between there is where we have to be focusing energy. And that's not very sexy, but that's where we're going to make the most systems change. And that's why the food corridor, I think, is positioned in a really unique space because nobody wants to talk about supply chain or access to kitchens as being part of that, that food system. But it very much is the connecting the connective tissue that's needed to, to make a regional food system sustainable. And what's interesting about those folks is they don't have a technology to manage themselves and manage multiple users. They have no CRM. They have no calendar app. There's no um, product for that specific user case. It's amazing to me how many industries there still are that don't have that that have yet to be call it technolified. I think that should be a word. Does everyone know what food tech is? What is food tech? So an example of food technology would be um, a software that helps farmers aggregate product to multiple consumers and deliver it. Um, so so different software platforms that are connecting food to consumers in different ways. So it's usually a software platform or marketplace that connects consumers with food in, in new and innovative ways. Thanks to Steno for being a Woman Who Startup Radio sponsor. I'm Lindsay Strickler. And I'm Rex Roberts. And we are co-owners of Steno. Steno is named after Nicholas Steno. He was a 16th century scientist. He looked around him and said, I see what modern science is saying, but my eyes are telling me something very different and I want to explore that. And when we look at Denver, we see a very similar mentality of we're not being rebellious just for the sake of being rebellious. We just see something and we want to explore it and go after it and see if there is a better way. Thanks to Steno for being a Woman Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more at stenodenver.com. 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 Kitchen owners. How are they-
are they going to start thinking about how they're investing in their spaces? It's huge. I mean, it's disruptive. I mean, there's people that are not happy because for so long, these commissary kitchens have been under the radar and they kind of like it under the radar. And a lot of them are the only game in town. Like they're the only commissary that people know of and can find in town. And so now we're creating the market We're we're setting the market. And that's a really interesting thing to see what how that's going to unfold. But you know, in anything disruptive, you're not going to make all friends, you know, that people don't want to see things change. But I can tell you the food entrepreneurs are so excited about the opportunities. Ashley has a big challenge in front of her building this double-sided marketplace, uh, which is really where you have basically two types of customers. Two end users. Two end users who have different needs and you are trying to bring them together and, and, you're, and you have to create the supply and the demand, which is in- incredibly, incredibly hard. So our strategy for that is focusing on um, the kitchens first. We're building up the the supply side first. And in doing that, there's like a huge growth in these shared use kitchens and incubator kitchens, kind of like the growth in shared use office space is huge right now. It's happening in kitchens too. And so what we're doing is building our product for them. And then we're going to add the marketplace on top of that and flywheel it out to users so that users could book direct through those that product. I can't see either side of the marketplace being like, oh, sad about it. Like, I'm going to make more money on my commercial kitchen. I'm going to have an opportunity to take some of my food product to market faster without having to build a $150,000 building. You might want a kitchen that doesn't have peanuts, or you might need a kitchen that does, you know, wherever Mm -hmm. you're going, there's a lot. It's not just any Mm -hmm. kitchen, yeah, that you can go into. There are specifics that you need. Open on a Sunday. Like requirements, right? right? Yeah, you'll be able to search, like if you're a a baker and you do gluten-free baking, you'd be able to search gluten-free baking equipment in this zip code or region, and then you'd be able to find the ones that fit. So Ashley is eight months into her entrepreneurial journey, so really early stage. I'm still a doctoral candidate at CSU, so I'm technically still a student, and my Doctoral research is my proof of concept for my business. So last semester or the first three months of the business was me doing a survey of 140 commercial kitchens and 140 food entrepreneurs. That survey was not only my customer discovery, but it was also my dissertation surveys. And then the second part is my pilot, which I'm running from January till March. Um, So that's all dissertation work. Well, if I'm doing all this research on, on the market, Am I actually verifying and validating there's a market gap where I could innovate? This is an entrepreneurial opportunity. Ashley was doing her dissertation and came up with this idea and then has really taken a very, in some ways, academic approach to getting her company started. Starting a company is very much like getting a PhD. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It is super hard. Days are tough. I mean, and it's tons of research. It is, you know, they're they're very similar things. What makes Ashley more of an expert is the fact that she comes from an academic background, working in the field, of food systems. I've spent um, good, most of my life working in the food system in all different areas. Started as a registered dietitian in Texas, worked at Meals on Wheels, uh, got my master's in food policy and applied nutrition from Tufts University in Boston, worked for Farm Aid and really started falling in love with the idea of regionalizing local food systems and how we can create 
um, economic development from the food system. So that's kind of where my, my heart and my passion are and were. So when you've got like six to eight years being spent on learning the ins and outs of food systems and you start seeing there's a huge gap in the marketplace and you have an entrepreneurial flair in you that you never realized before, those two things come into a crosshair and the next thing you know, that's why we're sitting here talking with her about building the food corridor. And Ashley talks about how you know, she was an expert and she thinks it's so important as an entrepreneur to truly have lived you know, the problem that you're solving. People that want to be entrepreneurs, um, or maybe even like Silicon Valley where there's a huge density of it, you're expected to be an entrepreneur. So, so many of them are seeking out an opportunity and they're looking for a problem or creating a problem that maybe doesn't exist. Like, does a customer really have that problem? Um, I think the best entrepreneurs come from uh, a deep expertise in a place that know a problem in and out through and through and want to desperately solve that problem. And that's where I think some of the great companies come from. I can solve that problem. I am seeing a gap in the market that I am literally providing research on. I can go and solve that problem. And she's doing that. I took a year off from my doctoral work uh, to become the coordinator for the Northern Colorado Food Cluster. And that position was at kind of a turn at crossroads. I could either continue on with the organization and become the executive director or um, let it go and let it go to another person because I kind of had put wheels on the organization to kind of get it going. Um, and so I was in this position where I had to decide whether or not I was going to finish my dissertation or not. And so that's when I went to D.C. I was invited to be on a panel for um, the Community Food Projects grants. So I'm evaluating all these projects all over the country, and they're amazing projects, but very few of them had really thought out their business model, and very few of them had done any asset mapping as to what resources already existed in their community. That same weekend, I took Uber for the first time, and I was just floored by the interface. I just thought, you know, this is a game changer in, in economies because it allows for somebody with a car to monetize their asset when it's not being used. Same thing with Airbnb. Airbnb allows somebody with an extra room in their house to make an extra revenue stream, and it's part of the new economy that's starting to emerge. And then all of a sudden, this idea came to her. Well, why don't we do that in the food space? There is tons of underutilized capacity in the food sector that is waiting to be monetized, whether it's a church kitchen or a school district that has a central kitchen, a distribution company that has trucks that are backhauling cold storage, you know, just even a piece of equipment that a baker uses all morning, but it's sitting you know, vacant for the rest of the afternoon. There's ways to connect people that need those resources with those resources. We'd like to thank Habitat for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. My name is Brad Todd. I'm the founder and designer of Habitat, the strategic design studio. I met Lizelle on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember if she was stalking me or if I was stalking her, but about two hours later, we were discussing branding for Women Who Startup. We had to peel away several layers where we found this mountain climbing metaphor that became the entire brand. The thing I love most about working with Women Who Startup is the amount of risk and fun we have with the designs. There's no set guidelines. We just kind of go out and do it and if we have an idea, it's just bam. We'd like to thank Habitat for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Habitat at hellohabitat.com. 
every entrepreneur has a moment when they decide. They decide that they are gonna go and do this crazy, hard uh, thing. And and Ashley has has an amazing story where you know she she was doing her dissertation, she had taken some time off, and then she had a job, and then she had this two-week this two week period where she wasn't working. I decided not to apply for the job, and it gave me kind of two weeks of clarity or opening, like uh, that time when you give yourself space and you just allow other things to fill the space that's been filled with other things for so long. And you don't know what, what's going to happen in that space, right? And so that's when I went to D.C. and I was on that panel for community food projects and it dawned on me that this opportunity is my opportunity. I know this sector so well and I know how to solve a problem in this sector and that I should I should really pursue that. So it was, uh, you know, July of, of 2015 that I founded the company after going to Startup Week in Fort Collins. We were we were there. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Startup Week was really helpful. I, I didn't know what I was walking into. I rode my bike down there, saw all these people, and I was like, all right, I'll just, like, start going into sessions. And I just started talking to people, telling them my idea. And I didn't know if I needed an NDA or a friend DA or whatever. I never heard that That's term. the one you need when you're drinking martinis with your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, folks at Startup Week, we're like, great idea. Talk to 100 people. Talk to 100 people in your sector, in your space. Run it across them and see what feedback you can get. So that's where, you know, I got the bug in my butt and was like, <laughs> you know, you have three nights of not being able to sleep because all you can think about is your idea. And that's when you know, OK, I have to do this. If not me, who? So I just jumped in with both feet. Ashley reminds us that there's a time to be heads up and heads down. I love to be heads down. But I also love to be heads up. That's when you're exploring, you don't quite know what you're building. I just like hopped on this circuit of pitch competitions and, you know, I have done well at a lot of them and a lot of them have cash prizes, which for a bootstrapping startup is really sexy. Dude, come on. There is nothing cooler than first dollar in the bank, first customer in the inbox, first investor that says, I think you're onto something. Maybe I should consider cutting you a check. And that point of external validation that says, holy shit, I'm onto something. And that just kept being affirmation and telling me that this is a good idea because people kept asserting, wow, that would really be helpful in our community or with our users or with our customers. The interesting thing is Ashley knew when she's had enough of the pitching circuit. At one point she just said, okay, enough. We're, we're gonna get back to business because if you just spend your life pitching, then you don't get any fucking shit done. Too much of my energy started going to like pitch competitions and less of my energy was going towards product development and keeping my head down and actually building my company. So Ashley decided to search for a tech co-founder. I wanted to bring on that person so that they could hit the ground running and timing was totally important in that. Timing is everything. If I brought someone on too soon, they would, you know, they'd be like sitting there twiddling their fingers. Well, you want me to pr develop a product and you don't even know what that product is yet. Realizing that this is hot soup. I want to run with this, but it means I need to grow this beyond myself. I need to take the time you need in order to find the person and persons that are complementary to helping you build out a vision for a company. Hiring the right people is something that you have to, you have to be really good at. And, and, and you'll get like, you get better at it over time, 
but you know that co-founder is almost like the first critical hire you're going to make. So why wouldn't you put a huge amount of energy and effort into it? You're a non-tech founder. You're building a platform that is going inherently to bring people into physical spaces. It meant that you had to find a technical co-founder. And, and technical co-founder, we refer to someone that is an engineer, that is a developer type, and that's someone that is laying the code. I guess I didn't really realize what I was getting into. You know, I assumed that, you know, you have an idea for a company, you find, a, a, you know, somebody else to do it for you and, and you build it and that's really it. It didn't dawn on me until I started reading all the literature that, you know, you, you <laughs> there are so many companies out there that have non-tech co-founders looking for a tech co-founder. In fact, there's like dating groups for this. You know, I, I in fact, I, I went to a few of these like meetup groups where it's like, find your tech co-founder and you, you go in and you're wearing like a certain color dot and the people in the room with red dots are developers and you can awkwardly go over and try to like ask them for a drink or something. It's like, it was so awkward. How do you how do you do that? Like, what is the process for doing that? Especially knowing that everybody else is trying to do that too. Ashley has built a great advisory committee to help her on her journey. That was my first thing: is to bring on folks that have done it before and the experts in the field that can support me through that process. And so I had some friends in Boulder that are CTOs at, at startup companies there. Um, had meetings with them, asked if they'd be on this committee. I brought on a CTO for hire company that was helping me kind of, um, you know, through the process and a couple other advisors and uh, draw, drew out a position description, had them review it, got feedback, wrote another draft, um, asked them all what their networks were, where I should be posting this position description because those were not worlds that I walked in. That was interesting for me and that was that was hard to kind of wrap my head around because I didn't even know what they needed to see. Like, they're like, well, you need to make wireframes and user stories. And I'm like, I don't even know what any of that means. Can you give me some examples? Product building. Team building. Team building. Wellness. Finance, which is... Finance. Performas. Oh. Wireframes. UX, UI, product development, product market fit, research. Research, 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 research. Oh my God. It did. It, it was frustrating. It took a lot of time. You know, when you're dealing with mentors and advisors, you have to accept that you're not going to know everything and you don't need to. You can like learn shit as you go along. You have to. Otherwise, you're doing a technical interview as a non-tech person is like impo it's impossible. And so I had to bring on outside help to help me evaluate because I, as a non-tech co-founder, didn't know the right questions to even ask. I met with an advisor in Boulder over a beer, and he said, you know, what's your company worth today? And I go, nothing. And he's like, exactly. What's your company worth tomorrow if you bring on a tech co-founder that actually can build your product? It's one component and aspect to find the right person. It's another component and aspect to convince them while you're bootstrapping why they should come and be crazy enough just like you to go and work on this. That person is so critical to your company. Um, and it dawned on me that I was only going to be able to bring on a tech co-founder to join my company if I can absolutely 100% convince that person that what I was doing has value and that it's something that they would be willing to go all in with as well. No, you, your skin in the game yeah. is so significant. And so I spent a lot of time um, pre-planning to get to the point of even um, 
launching my position description to find that person. I really drafted out exactly what my product was, did all of my customer discovery, showed that this was a need, in fact, in the community and a, and a real problem that we were solving in the community. I had, uh, you know, 140 surveys from kitchens that said that they are interested in this product so that I had all that data to back up. Not, don't just trust me and my word, but trust all of this data as well. We'd like to thank P2BI for being a Women Who Startup sponsor. Kristen Morgan is the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. You're on the beach having a margarita and you want $50,000 for payroll tomorrow, we got you. P2BI is a platform. You can just come in, get the financing you need when you need it. You can do it on your iPhone. At the same time, if you have you know, a big order coming up, you call us and we have people that are gonna work with you to try to bridge you to get the financing you need. We'd like to thank P2BI for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Krista's company at p2bi.com. So after what sounded like the most organized search ever, Ashley finds this magical, perfect co-founder. He understands tech, he's built marketplaces, and he loves food and is super passionate about food systems. We ended up getting um, five, uh, five resumes and uh, narrowed it down to two using that advisory board, and I knew it was the right one. Um, because I got the, the email and this person was interested in the food system. Like his background was in tech and he had built amazing tech products, but his heart was in food systems. And he had done worked with Slow Money and he had worked with um, CSAs in Colorado. And I was just like, not what I expected. I would never have thought that I would find somebody to come on as a tech co-founder that also was that mission-driven sort of person that really knew what I was doing and why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah, and that perfect person is out there. It's kind of like the way we talk about, so I feel like I'm talking about people's soulmates, you mm -hmm. know, like you have to, you do have to believe that because the truth is there are a lot of, there are a lot of amazing people out there. And if you are passionate about food and you're doing technology, there is no reason that you can't find a technology person who's passionate about food. I can absolutely see how she found this perfect person. I mean, she went to her advisors, she had it ran an organized process, and I, and I think most importantly, just put out into the world, this is what I'm looking for, and I don't want to settle. That was my... That was my number one choice was to find the right person. And so I set it out there, um, set my intent on that and just kept focusing on it. And the, the timing did work. It was that three months of me getting it all ready and then bringing them on. The power of intent. Doing things with, it, with intention and, and really being able to visualize something and then have it manifest. I, I'm very much a manifestation-oriented person. Um, it's, it's worked over and over in my life. She sets her mind to something, and she strives to accomplish it, and then she attains it. Somehow, is it magic? Or is it the power of <laughs> intent? 
it maybe looks magical to somebody on the outside. And I think, it, you know, it's that picture that we all see of the iceberg, what people see at the top of the iceberg as an entrepreneur, and then everything else that you see underneath. It's like, you know, I have days where I fall apart, and I don't know what's going on. And you know, we, we zig and we zag, and it's just, you know, crazy. But if you know where you're going, like your North Star, right, you go towards your North Star, and you just, when you talk to people about your company, you light up and you talk about that North Star, and you share that enthusiasm, like, that's what people see. I, I, I have a vision for my company and I every day try to get closer and closer to that vision. And I, I really believe that I'll get to that vision. Like I'll, I will see it through um, because I've done it with other things in the past and you know, it's risky, but when you're an entrepreneur, that's like, that's your essence. That's like your mojo. The longer you are an entrepreneur, the more you start to believe in manifestation because you're the only one. You have to see the vision of your company and where it's going if you want it to be successful. All of us know a lot more about our business than we think. Because at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, you are living and breathing. Like Ashley you know, talks about being up for three nights. You know, she came up with this idea and couldn't stop thinking about it for days. You know, you've been doing this six months. You've been thinking about this problem nonstop for six months. You're going to have an awful lot of expertise that you don't even know that you have. And you got to trust yourself. Her co-founder says to her, I would love to be involved. This is the amount of equity that I would like. And she goes, no, you're going to have more equity. That's profound. It's interesting. I've never heard of this. And they sent me the number and their number was a little lower than I was expecting. You know, I, it was really important to me that this person felt like they were taking this journey with me and that they were valued and, uh, you know, totally willing to, you know, take the sacrifice that all of us are taking. To say, I not only need you to have skin in the game and be a part of this journey and, and help me build this company and product, but um, don't shortchange you because you are going to be responsible for the success of this, much like me. Bringing on a technical co-founder was gonna immediately increase the value of your company. But it only does that if you let that person- Add the value. Yeah, add the value and like sit at the table with you and actually change, like change Contribute, your- Contribute, think, yeah. throw in the dice. He. Um, insisted that we do a daily stand-up. So every morning at 9 a.m. we have a call and we talk about uh, what we did yesterday, what we plan on doing today, and anything that's blocking us. So it's kind of this um, this scrum methodology. Yeah, agile development. And it's been, I mean, it's actually been a really cool thing that he introduced to me because it really does help set the intent for the day and really gets keeps me on track and makes me think, what are my goals for the day? What did I do yesterday? And and checking in with him and where we're both at. And that's been, I mean, that, that's been a really cool thing that he has already added to our, um, the structure of how we run our business that I think is really cool. I don't think Ashley realizes how she's going to change the world with her Airbnb for kitchen spaces. <laughs> well, watch this space. You're going to see four or five years from now, everyone is going to be, you know, running out their commercial kitchen. We'll have tons more local food products and yeah. Ashley will be on the cover of Inc. I'm a bit astonished that how fast and how far I've made it in such a short amount of time. Um, I feel like I've just put the right pieces of the puzzle together and 
I'm really excited for how this next year is going to start unfolding. Um, you know, we've put the right people in place, the right relationships, you know, cultivating those things and putting ourselves in, you know, positioning ourselves right. And I, I'm really excited about all the momentum and excitement that people have. Um, every time somebody contacts me, they're like, I love what you're doing. And I love I love that people share that sentiment. So I think it's going to be a big year for us. Heard it here first. <laughs> Heard about Ashley Colpard from Food Quarter here on Woman of Slot Up Radio. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Women Who Startup Radio. We'd like to thank our team, our sponsors, P2B Investor and Steno Coworking Space, our producer, Aaron Bassidy, and our engineer and co-producer, Allison Wrights. At Women Who Startup Radio, we're writing women back into history by telling the stories of innovative, adventurous female entrepreneurs. It's time to put on those boots and keep climbing. Keep climbing to me is, you know, whether you're going up or down or laterally, it's all part of the process and, and you have to embrace each day for what it is and just, you know, keep your true north, of, of course, but, but know that the process is just as important as the destination. You can subscribe to Women Who Start Up Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. We love to hear your feedback and your stories. Rate us on iTunes and let us know what you think on Twitter at, at WW Startup Radio. 